Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Okay, welcome everyone. We'll get started. Who's here for the first time tonight? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to anybody joining us on Zoom for the first time. I'd like to start by, um, let's see, how do I say this? One of, one, of the, one of my intentions for teaching Buddhism meditation um, is to help you meet each other. It's a core principle of Buddhism to develop community. We, we talk about three refuges in Buddhism, taking refuge in Buddha, which means your own ability to awaken through your own effort in this lifetime. You can enlightenment, awakening, taking refuge in that human capacity for transformation and for awakening, taking refuge in the Dharma, which uh, on, you know, is both um, the teachings, like here's the you know, Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path and the wisdom of the Buddha, the, the truth that the Buddha experienced. Um, and so we take refuge in, in that, but it's, it's very internal. On some level, it's the teachings and we study them and we practice them, but it's really like the Dharma as revealed in your own direct experience, rather than something to believe in, taking refuge in something to experience for yourself. And then taking refuge in the Sangha. So the reason I, I don't always say this, but the reason I try to get you to talk to each other at the beginning of class is because it's a core tenant of meeting and connecting and developing friendships and association with other people who practice the Dharma, practice Buddhism. And um, it can be quite challenging at a silent meditation to meet anybody and to actually develop any friendships and to actually make any connection. So I, I try to start every week with throwing out a topic for you to discuss. And then I put you in these small groups and, you know, you talk to each other for like a couple of minutes and it, it's not like you make a deep connection, but at least you're meeting people. And then over the weeks and months of, of coming, you start to recognize each other. And, and then maybe you, you know, fall in love and get married. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what happens. Maybe you make some friends. <laughs> Tonight's topic, I'm in the um, process of going through this text that is um, one of the things that the monks in the Thai forest tradition um, chant on a daily basis. And this is of the um, four foundations of mindfulness. This is the Buddha's teachings on how to train the mind to see clearly and to, to free ourselves from suffering. And we're on the fourth section tonight, which I think I'm going to spend three or four weeks on this fourth section, mindfulness of the dhammas. Dhamma translates as dharma, as what's true. Um, but it starts with the five hindrances. And so tonight we're going to meditate and discuss and look at the text on the mindfulness of the five hindrances. And so the, the five hindrances um, are our human experience of craving for sense pleasure. So reflect for a moment on your... Uh, uh, you know, and they're called hindrances because they're the things that hinder or make difficult freedom from suffering. One of the reasons it's hard to not suffer is because we're experiencing all of this craving for pleasure. 
imagine what your life would be like if you didn't have any craving for pleasure. You, know, you might think boring, but also peaceful, right? Because so much of our suffering comes from that repetitive, I want this to feel better than it feels. I want the pleasure to last. I want to not feel, you know, the second hindrance, which is aversion to pain. So this dichotomy that most of our lives kind of bounce between of craving for pleasure, aversion to pain, craving for pleasure, aversion to pain, even in sitting meditation tonight, like, I think it's always interesting to look at, why would I ever move my body? What motivates you to take any action? Like, just sit perfectly still. <laughs> We can do that later in the meditation, but you start to see like, oh, I'm always trying to get away from something that's uncomfortable or the idea of it would be more pleasant to shift, to blink, to swallow, all of that coming from this feels unpleasant. So now I'm going to blink because my eyes are getting dry. Or I'm going to swallow because my throat is getting dry or I'm going to uh, you know, move because my ass is hurting or so the first two hindrances, craving for pleasure, aversion to pain. So first question is, when you look at the suffering in your life, do you feel like there's more suffering caused by craving for pleasure or by aversion to pain? Now, the Buddhist definition of suffering is not pain. Pain is not suffering. Suffering is when we meet our pain with aversion, anger, hatred, fear, lack of acceptance. So often we conflate the two. We're like, well, if I'm in pain, I'm suffering. <laughs> All pain is suffering. All unpleasantness is suffering. All lack of comfort is. But the Buddhist perspective and the Buddha's teaching and promises, you can free yourself from suffering. You can never free yourself from unpleasantness. But so as we look at it, like, okay, am I creating more suffering because of my clinging and craving for pleasure? Or am I creating more suffering because of my uh, lack of acceptance, my aversion, my resistance, my seeming inability to tolerate the unpleasant in my life, in my body, in my heart, in my mind, in the world? So that's the first reflection for you pleasure or pain now it's both for all of us but most of us could see like oh i'm some of us are quite good at being in pain but we spend so much time seeking pleasure and 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 creating suffering through the, the craving and attachment to pleasure uh, some of us aren't so lustful and pleasure driven uh, but we just can't tolerate discomfort there's total anxiousness around anything unpleasant. So I threw in anxiousness. The third and fourth hindrance are restlessness, which includes anxiety, anxiousness, restlessness, and um, laziness, procrastination, torpor, dullness. So these are the first four. And Craving, aversion, restlessness, torpor. The fifth is doubt. So, the, you know, in this teaching, the Buddha is saying, bring mindfulness to your mind's tendency to crave for pleasure, your mind and body's tendency to hate pain, 
your mind and body's tendency to be restless at times, your mind and body's tendency to um, be dull, be lazy, procrastinate, depressed, you know, that that's, you know, part of the, the human condition at times. You know, we, we talk about anxiousness and, and depression as normal mind states in Buddhism, which is not quite the same as like clinical depression, which is, you know, a more intense experience or, or clinical and anxiety disorder. So it's not like a depression disorder, but that sometimes even the ordinary <laughs> non-mentally, uh, you know, mental health uh, issues, uh, the mind sometimes is depressed. The mind is sometimes anxious. Um, if it happens repeatedly and chronically, then it's a, a disorder. And the fifth one, which is uh, doubt. And I, I, I love all of these. I love what Buddhism is doing for us here, which is normalizing these difficult mind states and saying, uh, we're not, uh, you know, it's about bringing mindfulness to them, accepting, acknowledging, tending to the mind's tendency to crave for pleasure. No judgment. It's not your fault. It's just what happens. It's what the mind does. Anxiousness, not, you're not, you know, restlessness, not, you're not doing something wrong. It's, it's to be brought to bring mindfulness to it. And doubt, which, um, you know, also includes like self-doubt, even unworthiness. If you ever wonder if you're worthy of love or connection or happiness, or uh, then that's just the hindrance of doubt. There's your mind doubting your own ability, your own worth, and it's normal. Everybody's mind does that sometimes. And we bring, we bring awareness and be like, oh, that's the doubting mind again big surprise i'm you know we when we take it personal we're in it we're we are unworthy we are unlovable we are but when we bring mindfulness to it we can just see it as a mind state an afflictive emotion doubt self-doubt sometimes doubt is in ourselves our own capacity sometimes doubt is in in this context it's in the teachings it's in doubt in is it actually possible to end suffering doubt in the Dharma, doubt in Buddhism. And there's some encouragement through direct experience to come to faith, not blind faith as in you know, believing what you're told, but that direct verified faith of, I know it's possible to get free because I've seen my own progress over the process of awakening. And so there's no longer, the mind might still say like, oh, you're not gonna ever stop suffering but you see it as like, oh, that's just the doubting mind. Just a relating to it, a doubt, a natural part of the phenomena. Probably part of the survival instinct. Craving, aversion, restlessness, torpor, and doubt. So for your small groups, five hindrances, um, what's your favorite? <laughs> what's your mind's favorite? right? Which one molests you the most? Are you just like, you know, walk through life with all of this doubt and it just makes it so, you know, the mind just doubting. And again, I hope you hear this in the Buddhist perspective. It's not your fault that your mind does that. It's your experience, but it's not who you are. It's not, there's no judgment in it. It's just like, oh, I have to live with this mind that's full of insecurity 
full of doubt about who I am. And we know psychologically the conditions in our childhood that led to that, but it's what I live with. I live with this incredible amount of doubt, or I'm actually quite confident, pr practically narcissistic, <laughs> but I'm filled with lust and craving all of the time. And I'm confident and I have no doubt that I deserve everything. <laughs> or, um, but, I, but that, that craving, you know, just got me strung out on crack. <laughs> that, that craving just got me, you know, drinking myself into alcoholism or, um, or maybe torpor, that laziness, that kind of depressive tendency and that it's hard to get out of bed and, and do what needs to be done or the anxiety, the anxiousness, that kind of constant, whatever I'm doing, I feel nervous about it. I feel, you know, social anxiety. My, my mind is always telling me that I don't quite fit in. I don't, uh, it's not okay to relax. It's not safe to relax. I, you know, all of those messages about like, you gotta earn love, like this sort of anxious attachment style of like, you gotta, I know it's a lot. I'm going off. <laughs> I do want you to talk to each other a little bit about the hindrances. What's your mind's favorite way to fuck with you when it comes with to these these hindrances? Groups of two or three, um, you get about a minute or two each to talk to each other about the hindrances. And uh, I'll, I'll put you guys so just self select. Try to talk to a couple of people you don't know yet. So you meet a couple of new people as you talk about your mind. A little more um, context. And I want to look at the text a little bit, then we'll meditate, then we'll discuss it a little bit more. So this is the um, fourth foundation of mindfulness. And the first foundation uh, we spent, I think, two or three, maybe even four weeks on, and it's mindfulness of the body, mindfulness, present time awareness, and where we bring awareness to the posture, to the sensations, the breath awareness practice as the initial instruction. Um, in the first foundation, there was also the uh, 32 parts of the, of, of the body that we bring mindfulness to. There's the body as, as the four elements that we brought mindfulness to. And then the corpse uh, reflections on the impermanence and the death and decay of the body. So that's all first foundation. Second foundation is present time awareness of uh, the feeling tone of our experience is what we're experiencing at any of the senses in the mind and the heart and the body at the eyes ears nose tongue um, is the experience perceived as pleasant unpleasant or neutral second foundation of mindfulness feeling tone of what you're aware of whatever you're aware of it, ha it, it you're feeling it right every thought you're feeling Oh, that's a pleasant thought. It's usually unconscious. We're not usually quite awake to how uh, the feeling tone is. And then some of the feeling tones are neutral, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Third foundation we did last week, um, bringing awareness to the mind, the mind states and, and knowing like, oh, my mind is craving or my mind is aversive or my, you know, some of these hindrances or, or my mind is free from lust or ill will. My, my mind is tranquil. My mind is... Uh, the mind state, the mind object and bringing awareness. And this is key. This is one of the 
things that sets Buddhist mindfulness practice meditation apart from a lot of other meditations where instead of just ignoring the mind, a lot of meditations are about ignoring the mind and concentrating so that you're not aware of your thoughts. Part of Buddhist mindfulness is awareness of what your mind is up to, what, your, what, what kind of thoughts are here. So this fourth foundation, and so I just wanted to quickly go back through that. Fourth foundation, uh, Dhamma Upasana, and they're translating it here as contemplation of phenomena, mindfulness of phenomena. So as we establish mindfulness in the breath and body, open to the, the mind, open to the emotions, open to the investigation of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, becoming more and more aware of the uh, three characteristics of everything is arising and passing everything because of the nature of impermanence, the arising and passing that we're experiencing in mindfulness. Uh, we start to understand the unsatisfactory or unreliable nature of everything because it's all impermanent. So you can't really rely on your impermanent views, opinions, uh, you know, mind states, emotions, they're all just passing through. And I haven't talked that much about it and it doesn't go into it much in this text, but one of the um, characteristics is the impersonal or the not self nature. Uh, when you start to mindfulness reveals like, oh, the mind has a mind of its own. That's not who I am. This body is aging all by itself. It's not who I am. There's not a solid, separate, continuous self to be found in the, in here. The more you look, the less you find, <laughs> the more you really observe like, oh, there's awareness. Maybe that's who I am. Maybe I'm awareness. But the Buddha's ultimate wisdom, his realization um, is that there is not a self. There's not a solid, permanent, unchanging soul or self to be found in this human, just a process unfolding, impermanent process unfolding. And this fourth foundation is saying like, okay, you're here. You're here, you're aware of the feeling tone. You're here, you're aware of the thoughts. You're here, you're aware of the sensations. Now here's some of the other phenomena that you will become aware of in your mindfulness. And it starts with, you'll become aware of these five hindrances. And I'm not sure exactly why the five hindrances are part of the phenomena rather than part of the mind states, because they all seem to be mind states. <laughs> all five of them could also go and are very much connected with the third foundation. But then again, we're going to stick with the five hindrances tonight, but I'll, in the fourth foundation, it goes on from the hindrances to um, the aggregates, and then to the sense doors, and then to the enlightenment factors, and then to, is that where it ends? No, then to the four noble truths. So the four noble truths is something that you often think about like, okay, four noble truths, that's Buddhism. That's what I believe. Cause of su suffering, the cause of suffering, the end of suffering, the eightfold path. But here it's saying, when you're meditating, you will become aware of dukkha and be mindful. This is the first noble truth. Anytime you're suffering, ah, suffering is like this. <laughs> Anytime you're craving, second noble truth, oh, craving is causing suffering in my life, clinging, aversion, it's like this. So the four noble truths as an object of mindfulness, I think that might be, there's one more piece, I think. 
Anyways, I think I'm going to spend the next few weeks going through this. And there's a really interesting, when we were at the monastery, the monk pointed out, um, in the uh, sense doors, uh, the way that they translate it, where it just talks about how the eye craves all by itself and the ear, they, they call it the sense doors of craving. The, and I, I think I did the fire sermon. I talked about that the, not that long ago, um, where it's just, it's not your fault. Your eye just craves for pleasure. Your tongue just craves for pleasure. Your mind just craves for pleasure. Your body just craving is just we're just in this survival instinct of craving and mindfulness shows it to us really clearly and then there's an intervention we can bring wisdom to it we can bring non-attachment non-identification non-obeyance to the cravings and be like okay yes that my mind's constantly telling me life should be more pleasant than it is but here we are <laughs> it's not more pleasant than it is it is what it is. Okay, so back to the hindrances. Let me see how he says. I promise we'll get to meditation. How does one dwell contemplating phenomena in phenomena? Here one dwells contemplating uh, phenomena in phenomena in terms of the five hindrances. And how does one do that? When there is sensual desire, one understands there is sensual desire in me. So just imagine as that as a as an instruction, like throughout your day, naming every time there is a sensual desire, bringing awareness. I mean, it has to happen thousands, millions. Ten, how many how many thousands of times a day is your mind, your body desiring sensual desire? Like I said, I think every time we move our body, it's a desire for something more pleasant. Every time we blink, it's a sense desire. Every time we swallow, every time we breathe on some level, and every movement of the body, and certainly everything that we eat and everything that we look at and everything, it's always fueled by this, I, I would like to see something pleasant. I'd like to hear something pleasant. I'd like to taste something pleasant. You ever eat anything and be like, this is disgusting. I'm going to eat it. <laughs> I really hate pickles. Got any? <laughs> it's always I want to eat what I the, the, what I desire, what, what's pleasant. It's always tacos every time. <laughs> there is sense desire in me. And when there's no sense desire, now this is interesting throughout in meditation, you know, when you're sitting here in meditation, but also throughout your life of just turning towards your experience and be like, oh, actually right now, there is no desire present. Are you ever desireless? Like, let's watch in, in, as we go into the meditation tonight. Are there any moments where you're completely satisfied with yourself as you are, with your experience, with the phenomena as it is? There's no sense desire here. I'm satisfied. I'm at ease with what is. Then it goes on to, uh, there is ill will in me. Every time you're angry, every time you're aversive, every time you're resentful, naming it, oh, this is ill will. This is the hindrance of hatred, of ill will, of resentment, of aversion. And that includes every time you're annoyed. 
annoyance is ill will, right? Ill will is this big hatred, this big term. But what we're talking about here is all of those subtle levels of, I'm annoyed. People are annoying. Life is annoying. There's this tendency towards ill will. When there is dullness, drowsiness, one understands, ah, oh, this is dullness, this is drowsiness, this is torpor. When there is no dullness, no drowsiness. Now it goes on in each of these to say, and see how it arises and see how it passes and come to understand how craving, ill will, drowsiness, they call it restlessness and remorse. I got to dig into that a little bit. I like that. I've never heard it translated this way, restlessness, anxiousness, but they're talking about also like remorse, like that kind of guilt. And you're, when you're kind of like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. And your mind keeps getting you. <laughs> that, that, and, and sometimes remorse is a very healthy. And it's healthy that your mind is saying like, that was unskillful. Not judgment, not shame, not blame, but just that, sensitivity that that kind of ethical moral sensitivity of like oh, i caused harm and i regret it i have remorse for all of the times that i've been unskillful that i've caused harm to myself or to others or so a healthy sense of remorse i think or there is no restlessness no remorse or the the fifth one there is doubt just knowing it, there is doubt in me. And, and rather than being in it, last week in the meditation, I talked about observing the thought, the mind like bubbles. And sometimes you can just see like, oh, look at this bubble of doubt and just see how my mind is doubting. And it's kind of, it's in unworthiness or it's in guilt or it's in, um, you know, insecurity or, and with mindfulness, sometimes you can just watch that process arise and pass. Now, the difference between when we're in the awareness and the mindfulness of then when we're in the bubble and we're floating off in it and we're really believing, identified, I am unworthy, I am unlovable, and you're in it rather than being mindful of it and, and being able to watch it. So all of this is about seeing how doubt arises. I'm going to save this, but I'll just mention it. There's a, a section in each one of these that says um, how, doubt, how doubt arises, how doubt can be abandoned, and how, how abandoned doubt does not arise again in the future. So each one of these, it talks about that we can completely get rid of no longer arising of sense desire, of ill will, of... Um, restlessness and remorse of dullness and drowsiness and doubt that you can uh the way that they're talking about it i don't believe that so we'll discuss that after the meditation of, of kind of this perspective versus i think i hold a little bit of a, a different perspective about being able to uproot sometimes in buddhism they say you can uproot these defilements these hindrances and that you can make them go away forever i'm very skeptical that that's possible um so we'll discuss that. But first we'll sit for a bit and we'll reflect and contemplate these phenomena of the hindrances.
can be helpful when learning these techniques. I know it's a lot for in the beginning, but think about um, a four speed transmission and start in first gear. As you sit down first gear, mindfulness of the body breathing. Mindfulness, present time awareness of the body sitting, all the sensations, contact with the chair. with the cushion, temperature, texture of the breath coming and going. When we're in first gear, first foundation, we try to ignore what the mind is thinking about. Let it be in the background. Give your full awareness to the body. Shifting into second gear, investigate the body for feeling tone. What feels pleasant, unpleasant, neutral? Shifting to the third gear, third gear, third foundation, where you're not ignoring your mind, you're including the mind states, the emotions. And this is where we're experiencing, both in the body and mind, the hindrances. How long until your body is uncomfortable and there is the sense desire desiring to move to fidget to shift positions perhaps meeting the pain in the body with ill will judgment fear anger annoyance
Try to sit perfectly still tonight and see what happens. You can identify these hindrances of craving for comfort, aversion to discomfort. the restlessness. Perhaps you become drowsy, dull. The torpor, the sloth. The comparing tendency of the mind, thinking everybody else is doing it right. I'm not sure how to do this. Allowing the thoughts to come and go, not trying to control the mind, not trying to stop. But investigating phenomena of the heart, of the mind, of the body with awareness. Perhaps labeling, noting when you Identify one of the hindrances. Doubting again, big surprise. Craving again. trying to develop a friendly, a kind, an accepting relationship to our pain, to the repetitive craving of the human condition, rather than judgment, rather than taking it personal, a friendly 
patient, accepting relationship to the hindrances. That confused part of our mind that doesn't understand our worth, our worthiness, our ability. That skeptical part of our mind that doesn't believe that it's possible to be happy, to be free, to be awake. These hindrances also have a feeling tone. Sometimes being in the sense desire, although it creates suffering, the fantasies, the lustful fantasies of craving can be quite pleasant. Likewise with ill will, although it ultimately creates suffering, it can feel so powerful to hate. Almost feel pleasant to be in the justified resentments. Fuck you just feels so good sometimes. Pleasant. Sloth and torpor when you're falling asleep on the meditation cushion. If you resist it, it's quite unpleasant, but if you surrender to the nap, the meditation nap, quite a pleasant feeling tone, the nod. Investigate your direct perception of what's happening and how it feels.
when we become uncomfortable, it's not the discomfort, it's our resistance to it that's making us uneasy. It's our craving to be comfortable that is disturbing the peace. It's actually possible to learn to rest, to relax in the midst of pain. the last couple of minutes again contemplating reflecting on these hindrances now offer these loving kindness phrases say to yourself a couple times i love you i have always loved you i will always love you in your mind in your heart saying to ourselves i love you to this body, this heart, this mind, this process unfolding here, our memories, our perceptions. I have always loved you. I will always love you. And see if those phrases are met with acceptance or there's some hindrance of doubt around our own capacity for loving ourselves. Some resistance, some aversion to this sentimental statement, too vulnerable, too cheesy. What hindrances come up around saying to yourself, I love you. Acknowledging that part of you, the wise Buddha heart mind, I've always loved you. A loving heart. I will always love you. In one teaching, the Buddha said we could search all realms of existence and never find another living being more worthy of our love than ourselves. 
meditation as an act of love, mindfulness, as a loving act of healing, of uncovering wisdom, compassion. We can never find another being more worthy of our love than ourselves. And any part of us that doesn't get that yet, it's just a hindrance of doubt. It's just confusion. It's not your fault. It's just the doubting mind. So with all five of these hindrances in this chant, in this text, that the Thai forest tradition monastics are are practicing, each time it says, um, so for instance, for ill will, it says, one one understands there is ill will in me, or when there is no ill will, one understands there is no ill will in me. And one also understands how unarisen, ill will arises. So you're just sitting here and there's no hatred, but you start to mindfulness, you start to understand like, oh, a memory comes up. You know, I I think of what's his name. (laughs) And all of a sudden I'm angry, ill will. I have a, I have a memory, you know, this thought comes up and all of a sudden, or sometimes it's a sound or it's just a sensation or a smell, like something happens and it triggers ill will. Sometimes it kind of comes out of nowhere, but often you can track it back to like, I was sitting here minding my own business. Then all of a sudden, resentment. All of a sudden I was angry. And sometimes it's quite obvious because it's not just out of nowhere. You're, you know, in traffic and someone cuts you off and ill will arises. Fuck you. And then you'd be like, what happened? I felt unsafe. That's what happened. And then I got angry. Unwill, uh, ill will arose in that situation. So knowing that it's here, knowing that it's not here and tracking, how is it arising? What's the patterns of craving for sense pleasures of ill will, of um, restlessness, of dullness or of doubt? And how it is abandoned once it has arisen. Like, okay, craving is here, clinging. What do I do? How can I let go? How can I abandon this? We identify it. We see, oh, this will lead to suffering or is suffering. Non-attachment 
or the ill will, the resentment that what comes up. Uh, how do I let go of this? Oh, maybe I meet it with loving kindness. Maybe I meet it with forgiveness. Sometimes you can just watch the impermanent nature of these mind states. Sometimes you actually have to bring an antidote in that repetitive resentment or that repetitive craving. And so there's a kind of an intervention that we can do. How it has arisen, how it is abandoned, and how the abandoned ill will does not arise again in the future. How the abandoned sense desire does not arise again in the future. How the abandoned dullness and drowsiness does not arise again in the future. How the abandoned doubt, how, about, how doubt is abandoned and how it does not arise again in the future. What do you think? You think it's possible? You could get to a place where you no longer have desire, ill will, doubt, no restlessness, does not arise again in the future. I've been thinking about this for a long time. <laughs> um, I've been meditating on it for a long time and I've heard a lot of different perspectives. The only way that I see this, that part of this teaching as true is that um, if you don't take birth, that the way that it doesn't arise again in the future is by not reincarnating, then it could be true. But I can't see it true while we're incarnated in this lifetime, even if you're a fully enlightened being. And I don't think that it's even what the Buddha said about his enlightenment. Now, a lot of Buddhists will say the Buddha perfectly enlightened, free from all of these mind states, that it's part of the definition and part of the sort of my opinion, controversial, my opinion um, is that it's the religious exaggeration we like to do about our founders, right? Jesus walked on water. The Buddha never experienced craving, aversion, or doubt again. I think walking on water is about the same possibility <laughs> as the mind being, uh, you know, these, these very natural tendencies of mind being uprooted, completely gone. In some of the suttas, it says, um, it's it's though you've not only let's forget with the tree it's like the heart the heartwood something like that where you've chopped down the tree and you pulled out the roots and that and this tree will never grow again. Now, as far as rebirth, if if rebirth is what's happening here, this is definitely part of what the Buddha is saying. He's like, as long as you're here, you're going to have these hindrances. If you take them personal and you believe that you are your mind and these mind states, you're going to suffer a lot about the craving and the aversion and the doubt. Part of what mindfulness does is it breaks us free from that identification and that personalizing and that I, me, mine, that is the suffering. Part of what the awakening process does, I, I believe and have experienced to some extent, is that it helps us not take it so personal and that we can just see it as doubt and we can just see it as craving and we can just see it as ill will. And we're not so in it. We're watching the show. We're aware of those afflictive desires or mind states. Here's the reason I don't think that it's possible to um, 
I don't think that's what the Buddha experienced, and I don't think it's possible to completely not have them arise again, you know, while we're still in the, the body. Um, Mara, are you familiar with the, the character Mara in the, in the Buddhist teachings? So the Buddha is seeking enlightenment, and he says, I keep getting attacked by Mara. He, he calls it Mara. And Mara sometimes in the art is almost like these wrathful deities. Sometimes when, you know, these are, um, maybe they're Mara, maybe they're uh, Mahakala, one of the Tibetan wrathful deities. But Mara is like this demon that keeps fucking with the Buddha while he's trying to get enlightened. And he comes. Sometimes like these ones are sort of wrathful, like ill will, but sometimes he comes as like naked, sexy bodies. And it's very heteronormative. So it's the daughters of Mara. But, you know, you can just remove the daughters and just like sexual desire of choice. And so, so sometimes Mara comes as sense, you know, as lust. Sense. Sometimes Mara comes as anger. Sometimes Mara comes as doubt. You know that story, some of you know it, some of you don't. The Buddha is sitting there on the verge of enlightenment. He says, I'm almost there. I'm meeting, you know, I'm, I'm, I've developed the non-identification. I've developed the compassion. I've, I've uncovered, he said, and Mara attacks me. Mara comes and attacks with lustful thoughts. The daughters of Mara, and it's very graphic. And it's just like, you know, a bunch of naked, you know, young women, you know, and, and that doesn't work. And the Buddha's unmoved by the left. And so then Mara attacks with elderly women. You know, you know maybe you've got like a fetish for, you know, like <laughs> mature ladies. And then attacks with pregnant women. He's like, I don't know, maybe you're into pregnant chicks. And so, like, the, I, I love this because in my mind, the Buddha's sitting there almost enlightened and he's just thinking about all kinds of like, sex objects it's like what about pregnant chicks man like, that might be interesting because mara in my mind my understanding the only way i can make sense of it is it's our mind it's not a demon it's not an external it's just the hindrances it's just the lusting mind it's just the aversive mind it's just the So now at enlightenment, the Buddha defeats Mara. Mara comes as anger, comes as resentment, comes as lust. The final attack of Mara is unworthiness. Like, like we're exploring in the you know, worthiness of love. The Buddha is sitting there, verge of enlightenment. Mara's last attack is, who do you think you are? Why do you think you're worthy of, you live in this world, everyone's suffering, dude. Like, you think you're worthy to not suffer in this world of, you know, of confusion and self-centered, fear-based, crave? Why do you get to get free? And so his mind is, you know, like that thought, that doubt, that unworthiness, self-doubt is the Buddha's last thought before enlightenment. <clears throat> and he says, he touches the earth, like this image of the Buddha with his hand down. Anytime the Buddha has his hand down like that, it's a, uh, he's, he's touching the earth. And the earth, sometimes they say like, bears witness to his worthiness. But basically he's just saying like, I'm of this planet, I'm of this earth. My worthiness is because I'm part of the four elements like everything else. I'm not special, I'm not, you know, uh, we're all worthy. All living beings have the capacity, have the ability, have the worth. To awakening i'm not special but also everyone can do this and at first after and, and then then like it's like mara slinks away 
the demon Mara has been defeated by the Buddha because he doesn't take it personal. And, and, and the Buddha says something to him like, uh, house builder, I have seen through you, I have shattered the ridge pole, you know, the kind of the foundation, I've dismantled you. Uh, house builder, that which the ego that builds the self, the I, me, mind, the part of us that takes it personal all of the time. It's so identified with what our mind is attacking us with. We've been obeying it. We've been suffering because we've been believing. He says, I've seen through you. I've shattered the delusion. And I, I, it sounds like, and I think, I think he thought Mara was never going to come back. He's like, I, I vanquish you. I've uprooted you. You will never arise again. And then the next day he's sitting and he's like, fucking did it, <laughs> killed it, fucking murdered that meditation. I am free, free from suffering. I now have compassion for all living beings, loving kindness towards all living beings. I, I, I understand not only my worthiness, but the, the capacity, the worthiness of all. It's possible to get free. I've proved it through my direct experience. And I'm not special. Anyone can do this. If you train your mind in these four foundations, you will see through the causes of suffering. You will uncover the antidotes to suffering, the wisdom, the compassion, the impersonal nature. Understand. He says, and then he's sitting there, you know, I don't know if it's the next day or however, and Mara comes back. And, it, and it's like he's a little bit surprised. He's like, what? Wait a minute. I thought, but this time he just says, he's sitting in sitting in meditation and the hindrance of doubt arises or craving arises or ill will, you know, like, hey, fuck Devadatta comes into his mind. Devadatta is his cousin that's always trying to fuck with him. Fuck Devadatta. And he says, oh, I see you, Mara. He sees, oh, oh, I'm awake. I'm aware of that tendency of the mind towards ill will, towards craving, towards doubt as the hindrances. This is not self, this is not who I am. I'm not believing it anymore. But even enlightenment didn't stop his mind from continuing to do it. It wasn't a perfected mind. It was a perfected perception of his mind. It wasn't that it all went away forever. It kept coming back and in the scriptures and the uh, over 40 times, Mara re-arises in, in the teachings. The Buddha's like, and then I was walking down the path and Mara jumped out and tried to get me. But it's all his mind. And then I was walking down the path and I had a lustful thought. And I said, I see you, Mara. Then I was walking down the path and I had some self-doubt. And I said, I see you, Mara. The difference between the enlightened one, the enlightened beings and us is that we're taking that shit personal all of the time. And we're like, yeah, it's true. I am unworthy. I'm a piece of shit. Or I should hate that person. Fuck them. And you get locked in the resentment, the ill will. You believe it. You get hooked by it rather than meeting it with, oh, I see that. This isn't worth suffering about. This is just the, the mind reminding me, trying to, you know, resentment's like the mind trying to protect you. But how often do you turn to your mind when it's resenting and be like, oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks for trying to protect me. Appreciate you reminding me of those betrayals. So nice of you to remind me of trying to protect me. I see you, Mara.
my sense and my experience. And so 40 times in 40 years in the Buddha's life, 40 times in 40 years, he's enlightened, lives for about 40 years after his enlightenment, 40 dies. Only 40 times does he, you know, in the, in the scriptures aren't that reliable. So we don't actually know how many times, but imagine that that's correct. Imagine if only once a year, your mind fucked with you. <laughs> how great would that be? Once a year, but it might catch you off guard. You're like going through all enlightened and peaceful. And all of a sudden some craving comes up. And you're like, what the, what the fuck did that? Felt like a demon jumped out of nowhere. All of a sudden there was lust. All of a sudden there was anger. All of a sudden there was self-centeredness. But with vigilant mindfulness, like we live in that lust, anger, self-centeredness all the time. So we're used to it. But the more you get free from it, the more sensitive you get to like, oh, I don't actually cling to I, me, mine all of the time the way I used to. I don't actually, you know, live in that ill will or that craving or that doubt. I got free from it. I don't know what your experience of the loving kindness was um, tonight, but when I started meditation, I would do loving kindness and it would just be unpleasant. And I have all of this aversion to it and, and unworthiness and, you know, skeptical doubt about like, is this shit ever going to work for years? I felt that way when I would sit in loving kindness and say, may I be happy. May I be at ease. Or especially if I did, like I asked you to do tonight, I love you. I'd have been like, what the fuck is this hippie shit you got me into? And it took years of doing that before I could sit and say, I love you, Noah. I've always loved you. I will always love you with a genuineness, with an authenticity and with a feeling of like, that's true. And I, you know, and any part of it that's not true, I want it to be true. I'm not resisting it. I'm not uh, doubting my worth. But that for me, that took years of practice and of the hindrances being so strong and so, so much resistance and so much doubt around, uh, is this possible? And I feel like my, part of my doubt was around vulnerability and like, is it safe to be loving? Like not where I come from, it feels like unsafe. Um, and take a, you know, take, it has taken a long time to feel like, yeah, actually it's safe. It's crazy when you stop lying and stealing and fighting, people don't punch you in the face anymore. It's wild. Hardly ever anyways. Um, the more awareness, the more progress, the more this kind of idea, I don't, I don't wanna paint a picture of like, it doesn't get better because um, it gets so much better. And, and my experience and, and of like the hindrances decrease and decrease and decrease and decrease. I don't think that they ever go away. I don't think that meditation is a lobotomy. I don't think that we scramble the afflictive emotions. I don't think that it gets rid of them, but um, I do think that they decrease and that as, as more, uh, you know, as we move on in this text, we'll get to the um, factors of awakening and the experience of loving kindness and the experience of joy and the experience of equanimity. And as that increases with wisdom, the hindrances decrease in, in, in our experience. 
but they don't disappear. I don't believe they disappear. I don't believe they disappeared for the Buddha. I don't think they're going to disappear for any of us. But they are replaced and they become manageable and they become you know, something that we relate to. And that response, and maybe you do this already, and if you don't try it, say to your mind, I see you, Mara, when it happens. So you're relating to it rather than from it. When you're in doubt, name it. Oh, hindrance, doubt. I see you, Mara. When you're in lust, name it. Uh, lust and craving, sense, sense desire. I see you, Mara. Now, sense desire is tricky because sometimes there are appropriate desires and you should move <laughs> and you should eat that taco. <laughs> you should, you know, it's not like all desire is bad, but we know how much suffering unbridled craving can get us into and when it's clinging and when it's that that feeling of it's not just desire it's i have to have actually i think it's important to make a distinction between craving and desire desire is like take it or leave it i want a taco but i don't need one craving is like i i will not be happy i refuse any sense of happiness Till I get some fucking tacos <laughs> and I will rob, steal and cheat whatever it takes to get tacos or whatever sense desire it is that you're going after. A few minutes for discussion, five hindrances, Anything, does it make sense the way I'm presenting it? Any questions, comments, clarifications? At home, you can raise your hand. Um, I see one, and then here, just let me know. Amy, go ahead. You're still muted. Terp. Um, so are the hindrance, are, are we trying to get the hindrances to not come up to not exist anymore? Or are we just trying to suffer less about them? And do you think they still came up for the Buddha? He just didn't ever suffer again? That's what I think. I think that Mara- but they still happened. That's what I think. I, who knows? No. I wasn't there. I didn't know that. Right, yeah, yeah, That's yeah. what I think. Um, I think that the only way that, first of all, I'm skeptical of the, you know, no matter how much meditation we do ever, um, on you know kind of like it feels like on an inhuman to not have uh you know craving and aversion and doubt it's, it just seems like it's part of our hardwiring in some level so uh and and the buddha said this still happens for me mara mara still visits now buddhists who believe that you can uproot it in this lifetime and they they actually will say like mara is not part of the buddha's mind and that this is a very Western interpretation and that Mara is actually a demon that liked to fuck with the Buddha and that it's an external, you know, thing. I don't believe that. I, I you know, I'm just too rational. I'm just too, I don't know, male, whatever it is, you know, uh, Western. I don't believe that there's these demons that are attacking the Buddha or us. I believe that it's in our mind. I believe that it's in our heart, that it's more psychological than, than some sort of mystical demons. That's, that's how I understand Buddhism. But it's a very westernized, rationalized, you know, psychologicalized sort of perspective on Buddhism. And some Buddhists really believe that those demons are real and that they were fucking with the Buddha. 
and that his mind didn't experience any of that, that it was outside of him. I just don't buy it. So I don't think that we're, so, you know, the way you ask the question, like, yes, I think we're, um, it'll decrease your relationship to them will change. And then we live with a mind that has some doubt and some craving and some aversion, some restlessness and some torpor. I mean, yeah, because I can tell, I can get behind not suffering about it, but not them not coming up when I'm in a human body, it seems really unlikely. I mean, the more you understand the impersonal nature, anatta, not self, the more you're able to just be like, oh, of course, this isn't who I am. This mind has a mind of its own. This isn't self. This is just karma unfolding. It's not me. Oh, not me. Uh, I saw a hand in the back. Still there? No? Eric? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, um... So there's a part of the meditation where you were talking, you, you said, you know, see if you can recognize when there's absolutely no attachment or suffering, right, in your meditation, right? And so I got to thinking because for me, you know, my experience, a lot of times I meditate, I get into this dream state, I'm probably just falling asleep, yeah? Yeah. And so... I feel like there might not be any suffering there, but is there any teachings from the Buddha on the mind in the dream state? Because like nightmares could be a form of suffering. And are we able to witness to that while we're in dream state, if there is any teachings of the Buddha in, in the world? I'm not so, I'm, I'm not familiar with many. I know like in Tibetan Buddhism, they have a whole dream yoga thing, but I'm not familiar with it really in Theravada and Buddhism. So I don't really have, I've asked you before, um, you know, when you're in that, what's the feeling tone? It's pleasant, unpleasant, neutral? It's neutral. Is it totally neutral or is it a little bit pleasant? I mean, maybe that's the investigation in it when you're kind of going into it. Cause I wonder if some of it's a little bit of torpor, you know, that there's a little bit of nod that's happening. Uh, I also, you know, some of it can be a deep concentration. I've said before, when we've talked about this, like you could be in the jhanas, right? Um, but, you know, try to bring as much mindfulness to it uh, and the feeling tone of it and um, just accept it. Just, you know, kind of like, yeah, it feels, you know, I kind of go into this zone. And but investigate pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Where does it begin? Where's the middle? How do I come out of it? Is it when the bell rings? Is there, you know, five minutes of the sitting where I'm in that and then I can feel my body again? Or is it the whole meditation that I feel in this um, dreamlike state? Um, you know, like maybe put more attention in your hands and feet during when meditation and when how long can you feel your hands and feet for you know is it the first five minutes is it the first 10 minutes at what point do i go into a dream state where i can no longer like i lose awareness of my body because that's part of what happens right yes yeah just keep exploring it yeah how about when the loving kindness instructions came out did you hear them I, I did hear them, and um, that for me is generally like the anchor. Yeah, gets me. Come back to some phrases. Yeah, um, and I it, it doesn't disturb me at all. 
say, I love you, Eric. I've always loved you and I'll always love you. I'm not sure if I believe it or if I disbelieve it, but I know over time it will start changing me anyways. But when I come out of some focus, I, I go back to that, I go back to that, and then it brings me back into to the focus. Yeah. Cool. Mark, go ahead. Yeah, um, I know I'll say, oh, yeah, as soon as you answer my question, but what are the five aggregates again? Or what are the aggregates one more time? Um, the aggregates of clinging we'll do next week. Are you talking about the hindrances uh, that we're talking about tonight or the aggregates? No, no, I know what the hindrances, the remembrances, all that, the aggregates. Did we not discuss that? I didn't miss something. No, I didn't get into the aggregates. Next week we'll get right. into the aggregates. Perfect. Thank no, you, brother. No going forward. Yeah, I get it. No fronts. Tonight was just hindrances. Declan, go ahead. Um, during the lecture part, in kind of an offhand way, you used a couple of phrases, but you said, sometimes there's one thing, and other times you'll need an antidote for the resentment or the craving. What would be some antidotes? So um, There's four efforts that the Buddha talks about. One is... Uh, just the, you know, recognizing that it's impermanent, whatever that hindrance is, it will arise and pass and just the kind of forbearance and patience of let this come, let this go. Um, sometimes when it's really repetitive, then he says you can, you know, try to replace it. And so like some of the antidotes, um, you know, antidote to ill will is compassion, forgiveness. You know, if you're in resentment, if you're in anger and you're in hatred, start saying, I forgive you. I, you know, may, you, I, may I meet this with compassion um, rather than staying stuck in the, the resentment, the ill will. Um, so sometimes replacing. Replacing usually is loving kindness, compassion, forgiveness. Uh, you can try to replace it with equanimity. Like if you're really caught in like some kind of like clinging to someone else's happiness, if you're like in a codependent sort of attachment uh, suffering, then the equanimity phrases replace that uh, overly involved, somewhat compassionate, but a bit uh, attached uh, feeling about someone else with the phrases, all beings have their own karma. Everyone's happiness or unhappiness is dependent on their actions, not my wishes for them. And then break yourself free from that uh, delusion of control of other people. Um, so replacing with some of the heart practices. Um, I think I said this last week, you know, one of the other things there, which is a little bit confusing in the efforts, he says, you know, if, if you can't just let it go, uh, I think the third one is reflect on how, if I stay in this craving, this aversion, this um, is going to lead to suffering. And that sometimes, you know, just kind of saying like, oh, this will lead to suffering. I need to pop out of it. I need to let go of it. I need to disidentify with it. Sometimes that will help. He says, if nothing works, then suppression, you can try suppression, which is, I think, a strange, I remember when I first heard it, I, I still to this day feel like, oh, that's strange advice. Um, just, he says, basically, throw the thought out of your mind. He says, just as a stronger person would take a weaker person by the shoulders and throw them to the ground, press your tongue up against the top of your mouth, clench your teeth and throw that thought out of your mind. I haven't had much success. <laughs> Personally, it was like, it's boy, Maura, fuck you. I just, it doesn't, it doesn't work so well for me as I, you know, replacing 
helps. You know, I find like I can, I have the ability to bring in the loving kindness or the forgiveness and replace the thoughts more than I can just kind of push them away. But maybe there's an advanced stage of practice where you have the ability to just be like, fuck you, Mara, go away. Not me. Is that helpful? Those some of the antidotes? Yeah, thank you. Like matching up the phrases for the specific kind of pain uh, was really helpful. Thanks. Yeah. Please. Um, I have like so many questions on the first foundation, but um, I think one thing that is uh, just mindfulness of sort of identifying with when you're, I feel like it's much for me, I think mindfulness of you know, these things, the hindrance and stuff is, is much easier um, than like, I can't remember, I can't remember it's in the Anapana stuff, you're like commentary on it, but you know, like when you get the five hindrances a day and you're like getting into the first jhana, so you're probably not going to be there all the time, right? Those hindrances are going to be around. And then like, and then like, like on the one hand, like Buddha Dasabhikkhu says, like, you know, we have these mini enlightenments every day. We have these moments where it's like, you're there. Mini so, nirvanas, yeah, right? Yeah. So like, dig, like get into that. Mm -hmm. And then like, and I can't, I don't know if I can ever identify it because I feel like anytime that I would think that maybe I'm there, I'm like, yeah, but I'm also like getting into some pleasure. Like I'm loving just the sun on my body or I'm loving, you know, I'm, I'm indulging in something. And then like, and then like Ajahn Chah is like, yeah, we call it happiness and joy and stuff, whatever, maybe at the beginning to sort of like help you get there. But really, when you get there, it's not that anymore. And I'm just like, do I ever have, I can't, I, don't, I feel like I have never been mindful. I mean, supposedly, I guess, according to like Buddha Bhikkhu's idea, I've been there, but I feel like I've never been mindful of whatever the fuck that is they're talking about. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I mean, maybe in meditation, but not like in Life, daily life you know? like, how do you start to be mindful of that yeah i bet you have i bet we all have i bet there's lots of moments throughout of our life where um you know you're just doing what you're doing and you're not mad about it you're just doing what you're doing you're not suffering about it and it might be really pleasant and you're just, you're not, but you're not that attached, you know, you have enough understanding, like it's pleasant, but it'll pass, you know, like um, that's part of this, you know, instruction of like the absence of, I don't like that they say sense desire, because if you call it craving, it seems like your example of like, but the sunlight on my skin felt so pleasant. That's okay. Pleasant isn't a problem. It's just pleasant. It's the craving of the clinging, the needing that. You know, like sometimes you're having an experience where it's, it's easier not to suffer when you're in the midst of pleasure than when you're in the midst of pain. Often in the midst of pleasure, we're still clinging and creating suffering for ourselves. But it's easier, you know, I think we all have those moments throughout the day. Part of this is saying pay attention to those moments where you're not suffering about what's happening. Because probably you're not suffering all day. You probably have lots of moments throughout your day where you're like, this is fine. It's not the best, it's not the worst, it's totally acceptable, just like this. And bring mindfulness to the, that's what Bhidadasa Bhikkhu is calling mini Nibbanas. Every time you're not suffering, you're enlightened for a minute. 
oh, this is enlightenment. I'm not suffering. Now, often, as soon as you try to bring mindfulness to it, you're like, yeah, well, but taking it all personal and, you know, like this is pretty good, but it needs some hot sauce. Um, <laughs> but tacos, this is good, but, you know, also tacos are, are better. We'll end for the we'll end there tonight, I think. Actually, Tammy, go ahead. Quick one. Curious the thoughts on laughing at Mara and the hindrances as they come up. That's what I'm finding a lot is that when it first enters for a moment, I experience aversion and then I laugh and I'm like, oh, I see you. Oh, okay. You don't want to feel this way. You And that seems to be working for me because it cuts it off. I love it. I think that if we can bring a, a sense of lightness and sense of humor and um, sense of how ridiculous it is to, to believe our minds, like I think I said last week, like if you had a, a contraption that could, uh, you know, broadcast our thoughts and how we talk to ourselves and all that stuff, like how fucking ludicrous it is. Like, and if we were listening to someone else's mind, we would be cracking up. Like, you're a fucking pervert, all of you you know or whatever it is but we take it so personal in here and like if you can just laugh a little bit and be like wow that's really ludicrous the way i talk to myself and the thoughts that come through and mara you know like it's really it's it's silly it's just silly that i believe these thoughts uh so if you can you know sense of humor levity lightness uh great helpful for sure and would you mind just reflecting one more time the difference between desire and craving, please? Thank you. Wanting with a, you know, desire, I think, is, is wanting, but not needing. Wanting with a take it or leave it kind of, I'll be knowing that you can be okay without it, that it's not the source of your happiness. Wanting, desire. Uh, and there's, you know, there's healthy desires and, you know, we're not going to get to a place of having no wants, but craving is more intense. It's the thought and the feeling that I need. I have to have it. My happiness depends on it. I'm not going to be able to be uh, happy without it. I, you know, it's a, it's much more intense than a desire. Um, craving creates suffering. Desire, not so much. You know, want it, but you don't need it. <coughs> Wanting is good, and so one of the um, way the Pali words for desire uh, is chanda, um, and there's a few places where the Buddha talks about dhamma chanda, the desire for enlightenment, the the desire the the for for knowing the truth. For the dhamma i want to know i want to see clearly you know like there's good things to want so we don't want to become desireless you know we have to wake up to like sense pleasures are not the source of my happiness they never work they're nice but they're temporary that's not true happiness um but we you know when sometimes sense pleasures are appropriate and we enjoy them we have to just see them for what they are temporary enjoyable phenomena that arise and pass. Okay, we're out of time for tonight. A couple of announcements. Day-long meditation retreat, April 6th. I think it's a Saturday. Um, 
9 to 4 p.m. You can register on the website. Uh, you can also just show up if you're not somebody that likes to register for things. Everybody's welcome. If you want to, if you want to get the Zoom link, if you're going to do it at home, you need to register so we can send you the Zoom link. Anybody that can't afford it, just let us know. We will do scholarships. Everyone's welcome. I think we charge $65. It all goes to just support the nonprofit. Um, but if you want to come and you can't afford 65 bucks, just let us know. We'll let you come for free or whatever you can pay, discounted, whatever, whatever you want to offer. Um, and then there's how many spots are left for May? I saw a few more registrations. I think we're getting getting kind of full. Do you know how many? You don't got to look it up. But I think the May retreat is um, getting pretty full. Only a handful of spots left. So if you're coming to the weekend, Los Angeles weekend retreat, May 10, 11, 12, uh, register soon for for it sells out. Um, and I did schedule a nine day retreat in October, um, but I don't know the dates yet. And that's so far, October so far away, but we will have an against the stream nine day silent meditation retreat in the fall in October. So I'll put that up for registration later. Class is done by donation against the stream. I've been teaching this Monday night West Side Los Angeles class for 19 years now. And I've never charged anybody anything for the Monday night class. It's always been done by donation. Uh, and you're here and against the stream is here and I'm here because of all the people before us that were generous. And they gave so that we were able to, you know, pay the rent and pay the website and pay the all of the stuff and i think it's nice to take a moment and be like we're receiving the generosity of the people before us that's why we're here because of people that were generous for the last almost 20 years here in los angeles supporting this community and now you have the opportunity to pay it forward uh, and to you know continue to support the organization and to support me as a teacher so that we are able to be here every week for free of charge and everyone's welcome um, so be as generous as you feel moved to be. Consider becoming a monthly supporter of Against the Stream to support what we're doing, what I'm doing. Um, and thank you. Thanks for supporting me and, and, and the center. Um, see a couple questions. I'll, I'll end it there. May any goodness that comes from our practice be shared and all directions with all living beings. May each one of us get as free as possible. And together, may we create a positive change on this planet. The October retreat is um, also gonna be in Echo Park. We're gonna do a, a 10 day, a nine, nine night, 10 day, urban silent meditation retreat. Um, right at the lake at the Presbyterian Center in uh, Retreat Center uh, in October. And the India trip is also happening, but I'll put that up for registration next week, probably. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.